welcome back to Roll for Enterprise, the podcast described as the squishy heart at the center of Enterprise IT. This week we have all four hosts, so the redundant array of inexpensive or independent, which was it, our podcast hosts has proved its worth again. Uh, the situation in Ukraine continues to be uh, not great, uh, but I just wanted to flag above and beyond what we all see on the news. Uh, there is a tech angle to that story because there's a, perhaps a surprising amount uh, of tech going on in Ukraine uh, that people might not be aware of. So a company like Grammarly, for instance, their ads are all over the place. I personally don't like the idea of that service, but it's it's big, it's out there, it's very popular. Uh, Riedel, Macpaw, a ton of others. There's a whole load of indies, and there's a whole load of consulting shops that do the back-end development for the developers that you have heard of. And so it's uh, worth remembering that as well. The, this touches a whole lot more than just what we see on the news, which is you know, bad enough. I think it's clear, like, Tech has no borders, right? So, you know, wherever you need to go to get talent, I mean, you might sign an agreement with a consulting firm, a contractor, whoever. You know, some companies don't even ask where the person is located. And I think a lot of companies are starting to realize now that uh, they have developers who are now impacted in either, yeah, Ukraine or, or Russia. I mean, and it's, um, yeah, it's. I think it's impacted more companies than uh they're admitting uh, some companies are, um, but and I mean it's just terrible timing with the the, the labor shortage and everything happening. But yeah, I, I don't think IT has borders, and that's a bit of um, a, a shock I think to a lot of companies. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see in two three months or when the war is over, if it ever is, um, to see like. Uh, how companies start to look at borders and where people are located. Because uh, I think it is raising some alarm bells about risk. And I, I think overall people will start to look at that. And yeah, what countries do I have? Yeah, key people in. Uh, key people I, I, in and operation sales. Who do I sell to? It's going to be very different. I mean, just to say, I've been to both Moscow and Kiev multiple times. And the people I've interfaced with there, are, they're just like us. And that was supposed to be the idea of all this integration. That's the 90s kid in me following the wind of change down to Gorky Park. But that was supposed to be the idea that we'd all work together and therefore we'd get used to living together. And stuff like what's happening on the news would be not only unthinkable, but literally impossible. And yet here we are. Well, for the for the young listeners, uh, I think that's Scorpion, right? Who's saying that? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Um, you know, we say that and then we look at Intel. So they're, you know, Pat Gelsinger has them coming back here to the U.S. and, and inside the border. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, maybe that's because there's a lot to think about. Right? There's a lot of and it just compounds this whole great resignation, great reset, whatever you want to call it. It's just compounding all of that. So there was a lot to think about. There's so many dimensions to this, I find. There's the notion of security. Right. And I think that is unevenly distributed across different offshore operations, right? And we, I think there's a real awareness that, that in an IT environment where you have access to core systems or development of core technologies, that, that security is a real factor and perhaps the location of an individual impacts their ability to, or, or willingness to maintain that security for your organization. But then separately, there's a notion of who in this system, right? Because we're, none of us have employed Putin, actually, I think. And so there's actually a bunch of humans that, to your point, Dom, are, are just like us, right? 
and and to paint them with the same brush as their leader feels like a hell of a choice, right? But and and there's just sort of layers and layers to it. There's layers on the on the let's be real, like we've we've been pursuing offshoring and IT for ages and in technology because of the labor arbitrage associated with that. Bringing it back home changes the financials of every single business, um, and so it's like on and on and on. And and I'm not sure like that. That's even before we get to the question of does our how does our values as a global enterprise, as 90s and 80s kids that we are, right, tell us that we should treat the individuals versus a geopolitical crisis that they find themselves in? True, but I don't think um, like I, I don't think we're comparing the people to let's say Putin or one person. But I think when you're within the borders of a country and like, you know, it, it, so yeah, Ukrainians are are running from war, so they're not working right, and, and then the Russians can't get paid anymore. So, yeah, I mean, you've you've cut off your resource pool one way or the other, and I think that's the impact that people are looking at. I I don't think they're, and that's the risk that people are are or companies are going to start calculating, not the fact that they think like Putin, but that they, you know, within their borders, there's a, a certain amount of risk that whether they should employ, give them a, a contract, ask them for work, because there's a, a certain risk that, yeah, it doesn't get delivered or that other external factors impact that, that work, right? That- I'm, I'm experiencing both, right? I'm actually, we, and I have a couple lines of sight to teams in the Ukraine through all of my life's connections, and they're working, right? Partly because I think money is important in a war and, and employment is not is, is more fleeting when you're locally employed than when you're internationally employed, right? The, the, the local shoe store probably is closed, right? The software company still needs coders. And Which is a fascinating development. I've seen people uh, uh, buying rooms or renting rooms on Airbnb in Ukraine that they have no intention of, uh, of occupying, but just as a way of contributing to local economy. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's a very different war in that way because we are... A, and this is to get sort of more political, but I think it's related to our topic in IT, but at some level, we are actually part of it without having troops on the ground in the way that we choose to continue to engage commercially with these regions. Or not, as it may be, exactly. Yeah. We've seen many companies, including software companies, Microsoft was one that officially pulled out. There have been many others. Uh, And I'm sure there are many more that have not made a point of putting out a press release but uh, have also disengaged. Some people don't want to say where they are. Eventually, we'll just all say we're in the metaverse somewhere, and it doesn't really matter. So, yeah, we're all working in the metaverse. I am now purple. Yeah, yeah, there you go. (laughs) A purple dinosaur. Another topic to follow up on was the NVIDIA hack that uh, we discussed briefly. I have to admit, this just sank into the morass of hacks. I'm not entirely sure what was the the story leading up to this. What's what's crazy is like, a, I guess a hacking group stole one terabyte of information. Uh, and, and they're saying that it's like employee credentials and like login information. So it's, it's quite sensitive. And then some, yeah, proprietary source code, including some quite, yeah. I mean, when you say proprietary, you're always talking really confidential. And, and this is like NVIDIA, right? So, you know, a leader in, in, uh, in, in semi, uh, and, and AI, I, I, I figure, right? So everybody's a bit, a bit in shock, and it was quite public because I guess they they had to take down their entire email system. 
So it, it became public right away. But then it's the it, it's it's what happened afterwards because I it, it became very um, touchy between Nvidia and I guess the the hacking group quite 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 public I think or at least a lot of the IT community uh, is aware of it. It's it is important to be aware of uh, of these types of things for the, for their consequences. I tend to worry more when it's you know an operating system source code than a graphic cards Who source can put code. It, yeah, they might not be able to put it to what, use. Right, what might so be backdoored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one thing when it's Nvidia. It's another thing when it's the power grid. Uh, things that are going to affect you know, um, you know, actually, literally everyone, right? So I, I think that's going to be interesting. I, I know there's a lot going on there, but um, I think yeah. this is only the beginning. We're only going it, to see more and more of this. But it, it's not related to Russia or Ukraine, right? I, I think this is completely separate. Uh, probably Nvidia is 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 probably like it didn't get a lot of news coverage, right? So I mean, that's probably better for NVIDIA. Um. So here's the angle where it pops up on my radar. Because as I said, I didn't follow the initial story, but I saw a bunch of follow-ups when the, the hacking group popped up complaining that NVIDIA had hacked them back and calling them criminals, <laughs> which I thought was amazing, Chutzpah. Um, <laughs> and then it later turned out that it probably wasn't even a hackback. The leading theory right now is that the... The way they got into NVIDIA was they, they got onto NVIDIA's VPN. NVIDIA's VPN requires a mobile device management agent to be installed on the endpoint. And they somehow triggered a stop-loss action, a policy, an automated policy is the key point uh, in there, that used BitLocker, standard feature in Windows operating system, to encrypt the volume. And so it wasn't a hackback, it was just rank incompetence in the past of the hackers. But I love the NVIDIA criminals <laughs> reaction. Are you familiar with the with this psychological like notion of DARVO? Deny, attack, and reverse the victim and the offender? Like, this is classic. I've <laughs> is heard Darvo. that. Look it yeah. Up. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I, you killed me after I tried to shoot you. Damn it. Well, you touched on it, Dominic, right? I mean, we talked about it last week on, you know, Zero Trust. You just mentioned VPN clients. So I think everyone needs to think differently about security. And, and maybe IT isn't, you know, I don't know, the, the best uh, department to go ahead and, you know, engage in, the, in that activity. I'm not saying they, that, you know, it all falls in the IT department, right? They handle security. But, you know, do they really when it comes to businesses? You look at Toyota and what's going on there, right? They were they were targeted. They didn't say that they were successful target, but they were targeted. So now they're halting, you know, factory operations in Japan um, after you know one of their parts suppliers are targeted. So yeah, that was a part supplier targeted. Yeah, and the, right, and the right. parts but still, yeah, well, yeah. but still, I mean, it just it's downstream right? downstream impact. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. The thing is, like on the security side, I mean, talk about an ungrateful job. I mean, a security yeah. professional has to be successful one hundred percent of the time. Oh yeah. Thwarting, uh, you know, uh, an attack, but every an attacker, script kitty in the world. Yeah, yeah, but an attacker has to be good. Has to get it right once, and then one it's time. like, yeah, one time. So, you know, like it's just un- ungrateful. So the chances that you're going to get hacked just keep coming, getting higher and higher. And and let's face it, now there's these organizations are becoming more and more sophisticated um, to the point where some of their targets are are less sophisticated than them. Right? I mean, it's just incredible um what's happening out there so it's such an ungrateful job security i mean that's uh, that's yeah 
I mean, yeah. what's the current record for if you put an unprotected Windows machine unpatched? Uh, how long does it last in the public internet? I think last I heard was it was seven, eight minutes. <laughs> I used to run my own firewall here at home because I'm a masochist. And I, I, I was debugging something and I turned on logging. And it was just a constant stream of obviously entirely automated opportunistic hacks. And it uh, just kept coming on a residential IP address. It was a constant flow. It's just something you have to deal with. It's weather. Can I just, maybe this is my own like little game in my mind, but when I think of these organized hacking organizations, like truly getting big and sophisticated and having insane amounts of resources and structure and a concerted attack mechanism, part of me just wonders at what point they need an org chart and an HR department and a whole bunch of organizational strife in there. Oh, they have an <laughs> HR department. Uh, they, then they have support. You can call them up for support and say, hey, this stolen credit card I bought from you doesn't, didn't work. I want a refund or I want a, another one. And they, they'll walk you through it. They also have internal strife. There was um, a beef between Ukrainian and Russian members of a hacking collective, and they were leaking against each other. Uh, just earlier this week, I think it was. <laughs> they are absolutely sophisticated. I think maybe it's time to sort of hack the hackers then. <laughs> oh, you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there, there's like malware as a service now. There's like, like they've they've changed the the models that they they go to market with to other hackers, right? Zero day as a service and and so on and so forth. There was even this thing that was circulating on my Twitter feeds. Uh, apparently, people will pay you 50 bucks a month to plug a mysterious uh, Raspberry Pi PC into your home network. And it turns out it's an ad jacking, ad fraud network. Uh, but you know, that's one way to do it. You don't even have to take over people's uh, people's computers. You just pay them and they'll run the computer. Yeah. And I, I think it all starts with like social engineering and, and people need to get a bit, a bit smarter. But I security is definitely becoming everybody's job, or at least everybody should be thinking about it in no other way that you are when you're walking down the street, right? Um, what you were talking, Dominic, about the public, like a public PC or Windows machine in, in public, I think a lot of companies are still using the like honeypots, but it's becoming less and less, right? But I mean, yeah, to decipher that data and figure out who, who it is, is, is also something else. But yeah, I, I think companies are still using that. And yeah, security needs to conti continuously change, continuously change. And also because the hackers are continuously changing and how they're approaching things. Well, we mentioned zero trust, though. There was a survey in the register uh, earlier in the week. I was talking about how great is your awareness or knowledge of the zero trust approach to security? 11.5% of respondents, and remember, we're talking the register, so assumed highly technical audience, no awareness of zero trust as a concept. 5.9% uh, had a high level of practical experience and everyone else is, you know, spread around across the middle. I think it still is relatively uh, a new concept. And like we said last time, I think some people are doing it in portions and some people not at all. I, I, I don't think any, uh, no, I, I shouldn't say anybody, but I, I think it's very few that have a, a complete zero trust uh, kind of architecture around their, their entire landscape. Oh, yeah, I think it's... As with most things IT, there's a, a whole spectrum of new, shiny, old and crufty and everything in the middle. I like the old and crufty. Thank you. <laughs> See, I was debating whether to say the M word and I didn't. And then you went there anyway. So there you go. <laughs> I can't resist my true self. I actually like, but, but that has to be. There, there's no end state in our lifetime where everything gets clean and shiny and tidied up and sorted across everything, no. right? 
You do that in one area, and meanwhile, the other areas are getting crufty and dusty behind you. It's like cleaning house. That's exactly right, right? The attic is never going to be pristine and the basement at the same time. It's just not going to happen. The only time that's true is at your your 15-week-old startup where you've got only everything in a single cloud. And so I actually think that, that we have to accept the mess and solve for the mess, not sort of yeah. anticipate the tidiness because it's not well, going to Well, I think happen. people are doing that, right? I mean, that's what they're doing when they're saying, look, we're, we're protecting our data. There was this notion a while ago where everybody was trying to protect everything, right? Traditional firewalls. So I think zero trust is a decent model. Call it what you want. We can call it zero trust. I mean, it's really just a, to me, it's part of a marketing term. I think that, I think that's the approach people are taking. Traditional networking companies might, might be struggling there and some other organizations. But I remember... 10 years ago, not buying into, you know, certain technologies, because I would say then, Mike, we've talked about this many years ago, that, you know, we just got to protect our data, not printers on a network, not, you know, the entire network, not traditional firewalls. So I think they're doing that. Are you ever going to be perfect? No, you're not going to be perfect, but you have to adjust to what's happening around you. I mean, we're talking, people are talking about SASE, they're talking about the edge uh, with their WAN and how are they going to protect this? Uh, I think the bigger question is, is, Ultimately, is IT doing enough? I mean, again, we talk about shadow IT and, and everything. I mean, this is now impacting businesses. Mike, you touched on it, going downstream to suppliers. I, I think I think Mike's ready to chime in, so I'm going to let him chime in. Yeah, I, we're still asking the wrong question, right? Uh, the, yep. the thing is that, yes, okay, what are you doing? Yes, protect your data. Yes, do this. Yes, do that. And the question that always get asked, are we doing enough? Do we need to do more? I, I think the question that we should be asking is, okay, what happens, what's the mitigation plan when something does happen? And that's the question that's not being asked. That's the playbook that's not there. And, and and this is why you see like a bunch of like heads on fire when something happens and, you know, PR departments just not knowing what to put out, what to, and, uh, and if you look at NVIDIA, it's not NVIDIA that put it out, it's other people that put it out because, Holy cow! Nvidia's email system is down. Like, let's let let's let's tell somebody this. And that next thing, you, yeah. yeah. And next thing you know, the entire world is is telling the story rather than Nvidia themselves. So, I I hate to say it, but yeah, everybody needs a, a bit of a playbook on if something happens. And I, I yeah, I'm not I'm not saying that people are perfect, but I think that is it, right? It's not only it's not only like hey, take your crown jewels and protect those crown jewels, right? Well, I'm even I'm even changing that thought, Mike. I, is is the data alone important, or is it useful to some of these people, or is it the access to the data now that that they're prohibiting? Right. I used to always say, you know, applications, you know, you know, who cares, right? It's the data, but uh, maybe it isn't, right? If you can't access it, you know. If it, so I, I think even that needs to be challenged. I mean, obviously the data is important, but a lot of times the data alone is not important. You need more data or different sets of data to make to make, make use out of that all, data. Yeah. And you see that around like certain um, PLM and check-in, check-out systems where only parts of data are available in certain countries where, yeah, they're not allowing anybody to have the entire uh, data set. So uh, I think yeah. there's, yeah, there's different, there's different angles at it, yeah, but you're absolutely right. And this is where I'm going to be the token European uh, on the call and point out that this <laughs> is... No, but this is why the EU has or is in the process of creating these standards and saying, you know, this is what your disclosure policy should be, because that way everyone has a baseline. Okay, if you get hacked, you have 24 hours to say you've been hacked. You have a week to figure out what got hacked and notify people whose, you know, bank cards or whatever might have been uh, released so that they can then in turn do something about it. Uh, and so that, that kind of hangs together. 
But all you do then is get a bunch of lawyers in a room to interpret it rather than I, – I, I don't know. I don't know that, that that works because it's just like different different companies will look at that very differently, right? And you end up, again, in this paralysis mode. Um, Mike, can you talk about OT security for listeners that maybe haven't heard about that? Because that seems to be becoming a, a growing uh, trend among true security companies. I mean, can you just touch on OT security? I mean, uh, I, I'm not sure in what respect, but typically like OT or manufacturing floor, like to me, OT, I always go back to manufacturing floor, right? And um, operational technology, right? Like what runs your business. And and to be honest, a lot of systems on manufacturing floors or wherever are, yeah, old, you know, embedded, embedded IT or you know, their PLMs or whatever that, yeah, might have um, some security security holes. So typically the big thing, I mean, and, and this is all about threat vectors, like how do you how do you close that off? And I think that a lot of companies are starting to look at that and saying, okay, let's shut this off. I think what's driving it is this this whole like internet of things where people, if there's something that can get connected, they're just connecting everything. Even if it has no rhyme or reason, they're connecting it. And next thing you know, you know, like take an office building. Next thing you know, you've connected your HVAC system for no reason. And now everybody's trying to come into your uh, yeah. your network through your HVAC system. And um, the HVAC and I, system only speaks 802.11a. And so you've only got a 13 character password in plain ASCII. Yeah, yeah. it's terrible, terrible. And, and that was how, you know, the target hack happened a few years ago where companies got, um, I guess they were sniffing all the credit card transactions or credit card swipes at Target. And that was like a, a huge issue, right? And honestly, they came through the, the HVAC system to, uh, from the outside world. So, you know, you think about that and it's, it's just like... In, insane so now think about you know what are you connecting in your buildings it's um it's quite problematic because we we always think of pcs and and your data center but it's 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 all different everything's connected these days right so yeah even things you don't think of as a computer and that can go even in the virtual realm and i'm going to have to look up the reference for the show notes but there was a hack recently where the hack vector was a pdf and what the attackers had figured mm. out how to do was to implement an entire state machine in the PDF and then run programs on that virtual computer that in turn compromised the machine hosting the PDF reader. It was just insane to think about. It's uh, so cool technically, uh, but that's the sort of thing you have to think about nowadays. I feel like I'm going to go tell my husband to disconnect an espresso from the Wi-Fi. <laughs> but then how will you be able to make yourself an espresso from the office? It doesn't even do that. <laughs> it, it tells us when the water When you're out of water. Low. Yeah, that's right. It tells him, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think appliances are getting connected. And what's the point of, like, the? you know, I, I think uh, companies will look at this. But, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's connected that probably doesn't need to be. It's. Um, I think, Dominic, you, you've referenced this. I mean, um, the thing is, like, do companies have the right... Um, structure to address this, you know, like to, to Zach's point on OT. And, and that's the whole like kind of OT discussion that a lot of companies are having. And there's a lot of security startups that have popped up um, to address this whole um, kind of um, OT network and um, OT security. So, yeah, it's well, only I mean, getting it, bigger and bigger. Yeah. So in all of this, AWS and, and Azure have not been not been attacked huh? successfully. Is that is that what I'm hearing still? Wow, they've been able to 
to do what no one else has been able to do, huh? I mean, do we we still believe that, right? All these outages we've had, none of it's been related to a security attack. Impressive. Sarcastic. I say that sarcastically, but yeah. I'm sure they have constant attempts, but uh, you know, it's it's business critical for them, and they have a lot of money to throw at it. That's right. Again, what are you getting at, right? So, is it are they getting to customer data? Are they not getting to customer like? You know, and so again, uh, if if something does happen, it's a bunch of uh, lawyers in a room trying to figure out, okay, uh, you know, the interpretation of what what's happened, and yeah, you might not hear then. So it's always interesting uh, how those things play out. But obviously, none of the big none of the big three have have said anything about being hacked or compromised, right? Um, Microsoft is the only one who's become a really vocal about their security practice and what their security does. Cause I guess since they have so many, so much information, they've really become like this worldwide cybersecurity company who's kind of informing nation states about, about things that are happening. Right. So it's, it, Microsoft's become very interesting in that respect. They play, they play everywhere and they're just getting bigger and bigger. Security is, I'm sure, a topic that we'll be coming back to again. But yeah, I, I do like the idea of zero trust precisely because it moves from the idea that you have to be perfect all the time to preparing for failure a little bit more, doing a bit more defense and depth. But as often is the case, the devil is in the details of the implementation. So it's an Apple event coming up next week. So we got that to look forward to, assuming, you know, we're all still here. Uh, on the 8th, and it's all peak performance, spelled with two E's, so you can peak at the performance. It's a, yeah, yeah, dad joke, I know. Uh, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting because the spring events are always kind of the unpredictable ones. We all know, you know, there's WWDC in the summer, and that's when you get the cool technical things, the MacBook Pros or whatever you, the stuff that's interesting for developers. You get an iPhone event, September-ish, and that's where you get the new iPhone for the year and everyone reaches nervously for their credit card. But the spring event is more of a wild card. You never know what uh, you're going to get. The consensus is, I think, that this is where we get any remaining M1 machines before the M2 gets revealed, possibly at WWDC. And so that leaves the, the big iMac because they only released the little iMac with the M1 and maybe a new Mac Mini. And the other thing that people are thinking is there might be an iPad refresh and there might possibly be an iPhone 13 and some interesting new colors, maybe the product red version or something like that. Anyone have any thoughts on that? I, you know, what's, uh, what's crazy is like they have refreshed iPad so many times now that it's hard to keep up of, you know, when I see an iPad model, I, I don't know what iPad model it is anymore. And I don't know that it even matters anymore. Um, I don't know. Is it, I, I, I don't, I think Apple events have lost a bit of their excitement. I, I would say, yeah, there's, there's like holes in the product line where I think people are waiting for the big, the bigger iMac and haven't yeah. made the, the, the small iMac jump, but the rest of it, it's all like non-events unless they're releasing OS and they're not going to release anything OS wise. No, no, no. They'll announce it's a dub dub and it'll release in September as usual. Yeah. No, yeah. the thing, the, the, the iPad range is interesting because the iPad was in the doldrums for so long. And right now, all of the iPads that are out there are really good. Uh, even from the very base iPad through the iPad Air, the new iPad Mini, 
uh, my gen of the iPad Pro with the M1, people are thinking that might even be refreshed. Seems a bit early, but you know, it'd be cool. The fact that they make an event out of this is amazing. An event because we have new hardware coming out. I mean, how many companies would love to be able to do that? I mean, it, so, and, and there's, they're minor, right? When we're talking minor chipsets, things like that. And the crazy thing, Zach, is that like other companies try to replicate this, you know, like you see Facebook do it and other, no one cares. Like the only thing people care about is Apple. I mean, they such a, a like a devoted like fan base that it's, it's just insane. Right. I, I mean, I mean, let's face it. Most people will watch it hoping that glasses gets released or something metaverse or a car. Like big. people are looking for the next big thing. Right. And if they do do something new that people weren't expecting, then like it's com like that will be the news for the next day, right? Because everybody will want that or. But they usually leak it a little bit, don't they? They sort of create a bit of a drum roll and they'll show you like the, you know, the taillights of the Apple car or something. And it'll look maybe like taillights or maybe like a, like a MacBook. <laughs> or you mean how it looks like a 3D or how the logo they released looks a bit like 3D-ish with a heart and an Apple logo. Right, and, maybe and need, now they're going to get into pacemakers. And maybe <laughs> you need a special type of glasses to see what they're really trying to say. Because yes. there was some there was some Easter egg in the, in the release, uh, Dominic, wasn't there? Like if you... If you open the app with the camera and looked at it, you can go look for an Easter egg on the Apple site or some oh, craziness. I didn't you know didn't, that. It was, no, uh, uh, I'll have to go look for that now. I mean, they've, they've done a... <laughs> Just with the Dominic's, the rest of Dominic's thing. Yeah, that's my productivity <laughs> shot. No, they've done AR invites for a while. Uh, the last few events have been, there's been an AR thing that you could look at. Uh, so it wouldn't be surprised me if there were that. I'll go look for... Uh, for an Easter egg now. Is, is there but, a moment where we say that you're going to put your affiliate link in the show notes, Dominic? Yeah. Buy me Apple gear. I'll just <laughs> start a Patreon. You can. I'll, I'll unbox them or whatever. That's fine. <laughs> anyway, um, that concludes the formal section of the show. I do have a recommendation, which is a highly belated recommendation, but I realized going back through the show notes that I had not recommended this book before and it's a book that stuck with me for uh, most of this year in fact i read it uh, most of a full year uh it's called notes from the burning age by claire north uh, and i put the link to a review so you can figure out whether it's uh, your kind of thing it's uh sci-fi but not as you might expect it post-apocalyptic but not as you might expect it uh it was a a really interesting read, a really deep read, uh, one of those things that leaves you with a whole lot of thoughts and questions and follow-ups. And highly, highly recommended. Yeah, I have one, and I think everybody's probably doing this. I'm probably late to the game, but uh, Wordle, which is... I've got oh, timely. Yeah. I'd say every <laughs> single day. And there's now Worldly, or Wordle with an L for about geography, which is also good if you haven't played that. I'll I've been playing Wordle, yeah. Have yeah. you and, uh, experienced the, the, the Nurdle? Because that blew my mind and I walked away quickly. I just like backed away. It's the same thing, but with numbers and like an equation. No, that's too much. I've been enjoying operators. I've been enjoying Air Portal, which is the same thing, but with uh, three digit IATA airport codes. Oh. I, I maybe fly too much. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe I'm I miss flying. <laughs> well, for everyone else, just, I'm sure you're doing it. If not, that's great. But uh, and actually share it with us. I mean, maybe they can start sharing it, right? Uh, on social media, but I am hooked on this. It's a way to bring, I think, I don't know, maybe not, but I find it a way to bring people closer together. Um, 
you know, I, I share it with my family, my son, my daughter, you know, my wife. We all, you know, kind of share it every day. We put it on social media. It's, it's fun. So um, for those that haven't found it, you will like it, I think. It's a fun game, yes. And occasionally very frustrating. I have had moments mm-hmm. uh, where it got very frustrating. But yeah, it's a, it's a good game. And now owned by the New York Times. So congratulations to the creator who apparently created it just to impress a girl. As with all good technology. <laughs> exactly. Also, relatedly, why security companies are not nearly uh, as useful in this mechanism. <laughs> uh, that's okay. Security people don't know girls. <laughs> <laughs> Some security people are girls. I just have to put that out there. This, this is absolutely true, and I know several of them. Uh, and in fact, I, I know one who is probably listening. So, hi. And uh, this is a topic that we should also come back to. I mean, the representation and diversity, uh, including in how we think about our audiences. So a good call and a note for me to do some more work. <laughs> with that, please do follow the show on Twitter at Roll4Enterprise with the number four or on our LinkedIn page. Uh, the link is in the show notes. The theme music is by my good friend Renato Podesta. Please do send us suggestions of topics and or guests for future episodes. Thank you, and we'll talk to you then. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.